Well, there is a lot going on at Friendship Church this summer, and we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But before we do, right now in Prior Lake, there are some dedications going on, and uh, we want to talk about that and highlight that for us over here in Shakopee and be in prayer and considering maybe uh, in the days to come, you may be considering, hmm, what do I need to do to dedicate my own child? Well, we'll tell you about that in just a second. From the Old Testament times, Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord. In the New Testament, we see Jesus uh, uh, being dedicated in the temple as well. That dedication is a part of the practice of people of faith. And this dedication is not salvific, meaning that there's, this dedication doesn't mean then that this child now is saved. But what it does mean is that this family is choosing to purposefully follow Christ and to point their children to Jesus. Additionally, the congregation, the fellowship, the family of believers gathered together is also making comment to say, we are choosing to do everything that we can to point these children to Christ as well. And as much as it depends on us, we are not going to be stumbling blocks that this child would know the Lord. So that's what a child dedication is. If you're interested, there are ways to sign up online. Of course, you can email just about any staff person, and we can give you directions on that as well. But we want to make sure that we're doing all that we can to raise uh, godly families, giving them the resources that they need, and encouraging them in the Lord. Having said that, I'd love to introduce you to a few families. It's okay if you want to awe on these pictures because they're, they're just some amazing families uh, represented here. Miss Emma is being dedicated to the Lord. Again, you'll notice over to the side we do have a special passage that the family has picked out uh, for their child. Also, <laughs> they propped him up in the corner. This just, it cracked me up when I saw this. He, he doesn't look particularly happy about this, but... I think he's probably really joyful now as they're dedicating him over in Prior Lake. Uh, Selah Prey, isn't that precious? She's, I don't know if they're tickling her or what, but she's a smiley baby, that's for sure. And then Lincoln. Uh, he looks like he just ate. And that's, that's okay, Lincoln, we understand. Uh, but would you join me as we pray for these families? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for these families. We thank you, oh Lord, uh, for Emma. We ask that you would bless her and strengthen her, help her to be the woman of God you've called her to be. For Asa, Lord, that you would encourage his heart as well and develop within him a, a hunger for you, Lord. We pray for Selah and ask that you would uh, minister to that happy heart, Lord. I, I pray that that you would continue to develop the joy of the Lord within her and that that would be a quality that she would carry all the days of her life. Lord, I thank you for Lincoln and I do pray that you would continue to work within him your will and your plan, that you would be glorified and honored. And Lord, even today, we, uh, we would dedicate ourselves to you once again saying, Lord, we, we do not want to be stumbling blocks for anyone's faith, but rather uh, we want to clear the way that the journey would be obvious and set before us and that we wouldn't get in the way and be a stumbling block for anyone's faith journey. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you. We ask that you would be exalted and it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. 
Well, as, as we uh, think about the summer and even some of uh, what we saw in the video, maybe you started to get a little bit excited, but maybe you also started to get a little overwhelmed because when we're talking about summer, we're talking about vacations and if we're talking about vacations, then we're talking about, well, how much is that vacation going to cost? And how will, we, uh, how will we actually get there? Are we going to fly there? Are we going to drive there? Will we meet people there? Who will be there? Are there additional costs that we're going to have to consider? Not just that, but when we come back from this vacation, that will hopefully be a lot of fun and memorable. Well, we might need to take a vacation from our vacation, and it's not going to be easy to just jump right back in and do all of the things that we have to do. Oh, this vacation, I don't know if I can plan any of the things that Friendship Church is planning because I have so much going on in my own uh, plans. And then there's the weekend. Oh, I love the weekend, but there's summer, and there's only like two weeks of summer in Minnesota. So what are we going to do to make sure that we can really enjoy the summer? And I want to go up north. Well, what will I do up north? Now, will it be in Duluth, or do I want to go up a little further? What will I do? How much will that cost? Who will be with me? And suddenly, these choices become overwhelming. During COVID, uh, we started to see that businesses and, and uh, entrepreneurs in particular started to have real problems with all of the choices they had to make. And it reminded us that actually there is a problem with choices. And that problem is we're tired. There's lots of choices. These business uh, leaders, these entrepreneurs had to, had to just turn on a dime and make some decisions. Okay, so our business model is for people to come into our business to to serve them, dine in. And now suddenly we have to change everything that we've been doing and we need to take orders online and we need to take orders over the phone and we need to be ready for carry out and when will we be ready? And all of these decisions started to really wear on people. This is called decision fatigue. If you're not familiar with it, it has uh, really become popular, I think, in some mental health circles, especially as we're reflecting on what happened to us during COVID. Let me give you a, a, a little bit from an online article. Uh, it says this, decision fatigue is the idea that after making many decisions, a person's ability to make additional decisions becomes worse. I'm going to identify a few things, and if this is true for you or has been true for you, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, just so you know, my hand is already up in the air. <laughs> Signs and effects could be feeling tired, having brain fog. Anybody know that? Okay. Uh, experiencing other symptoms of physical or mental fatigue like impulse buying. Trade-off decision-making because, uh, because it becomes much harder. Avoiding decisions altogether. These are signs of decision fatigue, and it affects us. And yet, we still have choices to make. There are still decisions to make. What I want to suggest is that in these days, we have been bogged down with maybe some of the, uh, the details of the decisions that it, it's been, become very easy to miss the big decisions that we absolutely need to make. And so, I want to say it this way. We have a choice. We can accept or decide, we can choose cheap grace, or we can choose God's grace. Now, grace is something favorable, right? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. But when 
you hear these terms, cheap grace versus God's grace, I, I want to challenge our hearts for a moment. It is very possible that cheap grace has started to bleed its way into the church. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a thought on cheap grace. It's by a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a martyr during World War II, was a pastor and a professor in the German church, uh, a thought leader among the church. And one of the things he saw being embraced in the church was a thing called cheap grace. This cheap grace has the idea of picking and choosing. I like this about Christianity, but I don't really like this other stuff. Watch what he has to say. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That's cheap grace. Decide for yourself if that has crept into the Western church. I challenge us to ask the harder question, has it crept into our own hearts? Have we chose, at times, cheap grace over God's grace? The good news is we can choose. And we'll talk about that as we look at God's grace. Just a quick definition. Uh, and and uh, God's grace is unmerited favor. Or getting what you don't deserve. Now, that's good news. Now, listen to this last sentence because I think it summarizes everything. This grace is the power for living as a disciple of Jesus. So, what are we saying here? We're saying that God's grace causes us to do all of those hard things. It's, uh, it's, it's not just um, confession. It's also repentance. It's baptism and accountability. It's all of those things. But it can only be lived out. It can only, like we can only do it when we're choosing God's grace and the power of God to live that out in our lives. It's not easy. We recognize that. Uh, but it, it is something that we have to choose and we have to decide to choose. So let me give some framework for this. Uh, this is the power of choice. First of all, Choice is given to us by God. God for sure has sovereignty in this. God for sure has a role that he plays in this. Absolutely. But we're going to talk about our role. And we do have a role in choice. Choice is necessary for salvation. We'll talk that through in just a moment. So let's look at choices given to us by God. Well, we see it throughout the scriptures. Here's an example. Adam and Eve choose to disobey God. They are with God, and we're talking about Genesis chapter 3, they're with God. It's not enough to be with God, they want to be like God, and so uh, they choose to disobey him. Joshua admonishes, choose you this day whom you will serve. There is a choice, will you serve God or will you not serve God? Additionally, Elijah, in similar fashion, demanded a decision in 1 Kings 18.21. And Christ came to his own, and they chose to reject him. So there are some decisions that we have to make. Regardless of decision fatigue, we have choices that we have to make, and they're set before us. 
If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to go. And uh, as, you're, as you're turning, by the way, if you want a Bible, if you're saying, actually, I didn't bring one today and I, I prefer that, uh, there are some in the back. If you raise your hand, someone can get it for you, or you can just go to the back and grab a Bible, and that's fine. It even, even can be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have scriptures. Uh, you may not have brought a Bible today, but you're just going to use your phone. That's fine, but this is an opportunity for me to walk in faith and trust that you're actually using your phone for scriptures and not social media and other things. So with that in mind, let's, uh, uh, let's talk through this where we're going. Well, we're going to talk about some things that make sense in the context of Paul in Rome. We're going to use some terms that we have some cultural definitions of, uh, some uh, cultural history that is probably going to bother us a little bit. I, I recognize that. The term that we'll be using is the term slavery, and along with slavery, we'll be using a term master. Uh, they're biblical terms. However, I want to understand right from the very beginning, Paul is not okaying slavery in this passage. That is not his point. What his point is, is that there is an institution of slavery that existed in the Roman Empire. And he uses this uh, institution of slavery as an example. He's not condoning it. He's using it as an example. And there's a difference. So keep that in mind as we walk through it. Because again, this is kind of a tough passage to chew on when, when we're using terms that we'll be using today. So not just the choice of slavery, and there is a choice there, there's also a choice of separation. And in the end, we'll see that there is a choice, or at least partial choice, in salvation as well. So with that in mind, let's jump right in. We're in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 is where we'll begin. And, and just as we go there, I want to remind us where we have been. So earlier in chapter 6, we see that... Uh, Paul is telling the church that they have been unified with Christ, that there is unity in Christ, and this unity in Christ changes everything. It changes the way that they live life out. It's transformational in power when we are unified with Christ, and he uses this great illustration of baptism. He says that we are, we are dead to sin and death, and for those who have received Christ as their saved, they are alive in Jesus. There is a transformation that has occurred. And because of that transformation, it affects and infects everything that the follower of Christ does. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. Now, uh, verse 15 starts off almost kind of, kind of taking verse 1 and looking at it from a different angle. Uh, uh, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And we sometimes ask the question, so does that mean that, that law has no part of the believer? Well, sort of. Uh, what we are saying is that we are not under the, the authority of the law. The, the law was there to, uh, to point us to the fact that we're sinners and in desperate need of a Savior. And it did that. And yet, we are rescued from that reality because Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And that's what we saw earlier in chapter 6. And let's watch and see how it's lived out starting in verse 15 through 23. This is what it says. What then? 
Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So because of this grace that has been extended to us, can we just keep sinning and that's okay? He says, by no means. Absolutely not. It's an emphatic. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, let me just stop there, not very common, but, was, but did happen, and that is, if someone was poor, for example, they couldn't provide for themselves, they came on a hard time in the Roman Empire, they were able to go to someone, a wealthy person, and say, I, I would like to become your servant. I would like you to become my master. And there would be some benefits to that. Uh, uh, benefits would be that uh, that master would then supply for them. They may supply housing. They may supply uh, additional funds. In fact, many slaves had wages given to them. It was minimal. They weren't getting rich, that's for sure. Uh, it was minimal, but they did receive wages. And so Paul is pointing to the fact that there is slavery in Rome. Not condoning it, he's pointing to it. And then he's giving an illustration uh, that the Romans, the Roman church, would have understood. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Let me pause there. So once you present yourselves, you are a slave of that person. Meaning this, you can't be a slave of one master and yet serve another master. There is a choice you have to make, and he's going to spin this illustration and make it spiritual now by saying this, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So on the one side, we can choose sin to master us, or on the other side, we can choose righteousness. Now, in a little bit, he's going to kind of flip these terms a little bit. He's going to use righteousness. He's going to use God. And, and he's, he's going to connect those. So you can be a slave to righteousness or slave to God. He's going to use those terms interchangeably in a moment. But I want you to get the gist of it. He's saying that we have a choice. And we can present ourselves because we can't make it on our own. We are insufficient to be able to live out life. By default, we are slaves to sin. We are under this master of sin. But he's saying, there is another choice. We can present ourselves to God. Let's keep looking. He goes on to say, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Uh, this, this is confusing. It would have been way easier if he would have said, uh, you were once slaves of sin, but be became obedient to the Lord. Like that would have been nice if he would have just said it that way. We could move on, no problem, but he didn't. So let's pause here. There is a transformation that is occurring. You once were slaves to sin, and you behaved uh, accordingly under that master. But he's saying, there is a heart change. Not just because this is your master, but because of a heart change, you are becoming obedient to a teaching that you've received. Now, now let me talk about that teaching for a moment. In the early church, there were 
there was a need to make disciples, right? That makes sense. Uh, how do I follow Jesus? Well, many people had a Jewish background, and so it made sense. But then slowly, this Roman, uh, this Roman empire, and because of the multicultures that were there, started to come into the church, and they started to receive Jesus as their Savior. And so there are these Gentiles that came from a different background than, than those with a Jewish background. And so they had to educate them. We, we want to get you up today. We want to help you understand, get on the same page of what it means to follow Jesus. In the early church, these were called catechumens. These catechumens were a group of people who said, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to be obedient to what Jesus has for me. I want to learn more. I'm about to really take this step of following Jesus. And so they were taught a teaching a few decades from this. It's written out. It's called the Didache. The Didache, it means teaching. And it begins, there are two ways. A way which leads to life and a way that leads to death. And then it goes through and talks about specifically what it means to choose life. And so these early catechumens, these uh, early followers of Jesus, those who are wanting to make that decision to follow him, are being educated by a teaching that has been given to them. This could be what Paul is referring to. It's not absolutely clear, but it is probable uh, that the standard of teaching. Now, there's another problem here. And the other problem is this, to which you were committed. What they're not saying, what Paul is not saying, is that there is this teaching that has then been given to you, committed to you. He's not saying that. He's not saying the teaching is yours for you to shuffle through and to go yes to this and no to that. That kind of sounds like that cheap grace we talked about earlier. But what he is saying is that you were committed to that teaching. In other words, we are offering you to that teaching. So uh, if indeed this is the didache to follow this way of life, what is the way of life? And it's all spelled out uh, for the new believer. And Paul seems to be inferring this. Uh, you are committed to that totally, completely. You don't get to pick through it, pick some things out. You know, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. Oh, I really like this part, this dying to self, no thanks. That, that kind of stuff. You're committed to that. Verse uh, 18 and having been set free from sin, so you're no longer a slave of, that, uh, of, of sin. You don't have to follow that master. You have become slaves of righteousness. And now we're going to see that, okay, we have this choice. I can choose to be a slave to sin or I can choose to be a slave of God. What is it going to be? It's both, uh, they've both been put before me and I have a decision to make. Regardless of decision fatigue, I have to make a decision. Will I follow God or will I follow sin? So there's a choice of separation, and we'll see that from verse 20, or I'm sorry, from verse, uh, yeah, verse 20 through 22. This is what it says. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Kind of a funny way of saying it. He, he, so here's what he's saying. When you were under the mastery of sin, 
Righteousness was never your concern. Righteousness was never something that you had to worry about. It was never a part of your thoughts. It's not what you did. You couldn't do it as long as you were a slave of that, uh, of sin. But look at what he says here. Uh, you were free in regard to righteousness, uh, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So what was the fruit of that sin? Okay, yeah, maybe for a while it was even pleasing. It was even enjoyable for a while, but what was the fruit of it? And he's going to show us what that is. For the end of those things is death. For the end of those things is death. In other words, the fruit of choosing sin over and over again is death. And I should probably give us a little bit more definition of what we mean by death because uh, this, this term is, um, well... It has a little bit of fluidity to it. Uh, death can mean no longer breathing on the side of eternity. Could mean that. You're not alive. You're being buried. Could mean that. Sometimes it does mean that. In a biblical definition, however, it means separation from God. It's a separation from God. Totally and completely. Ultimately, for eternity. In a place called hell where there's great weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we know about hell. It doesn't sound like a great place. But that's the separation. Okay, so this ultimate death is separation uh, from God completely with the fruit of living under the, uh, the slavery of sin. Let's keep going. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so he's telling the church, you once were this, but now you're this. You once were a slave to sin, now you're a slave of God. And have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, that's the separation, and its end, eternal life. Think about the difference here. Paul's spelling it out for the believers. Okay, if we choose slavery to sin, it leads to death. We can choose slavery to God, and it leads to eternal life. In fact, there is a separateness, a, a separation that occurs when we choose God and choose to follow him. There's a separation. It's going to become even more clear in the next verse as we talk about the salvation part. So there's also a choice of salvation. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, let's break that down just a little bit. As I stated earlier, that to be a, a, slave, a, a slave in the Roman Empire, occasionally, they would even give wages for that. You would get some sort of menial wage uh, as, as a slave of that master. This seems to be referring to that. Uh, the wages of this is death. Separation from God, for sure. In other words, if you are going to choose slavery to sin, then you are going to be separated from God. Got it? It's clear. Separation from God. And then there's this crazy juxtaposition. Okay, so on the one hand, there is this wage. I've earned this. On the other hand, of being under the mastery of God, there's something different, and it's a free gift. It's free. In other words, you don't have to earn. If you choose God, you're not earning anything. God doesn't have a wage that he goes, oh, yeah, here's some life for you. 
Yep, yep, here's some life. No, no, if you're choosing God, you are under that umbrella. You are living in that place of life, what is called eternal life here, and it is a free gift. You can't earn it. Can't earn it. It's already been dealt with by Jesus himself, and it's a gift, and that gift is offered, and so we have choices to make. Uh, what's it going to be? Will, will I choose sin and being enslaved to sin? Or will I choose God and following him in obedience with a transformed heart following him to eternal life? The choice is ours. And we get the choice. It's laid out in front of us. And so what will we do with it? And that's the question. That's the challenge that we have even now. So for some of you, you've already said, you know what, I follow Jesus, I love Jesus, uh, I want more of Jesus, I don't like that cheap grace stuff, uh, I'm, I'm ready to dig in, I want this. What's the next step for me? Great question. Well, here's the next choice, or the next set of choices. Uh, let's lay them out. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that, that we're going to work out uh, our salvation. So, Paul said we must work out our own salvation. That there's a little bit of a process to this. Now, we can call that sanctification. That's certainly true. But as we understand, how does Jesus apply to me? Paul is really clear that there's, there is this tension. Wouldn't we like it if it was just, you know what? I don't choose sin. I choose God. And everything now is easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I'm not tempted with any of that. But Paul recognizes that that's not the case. There is going to be this temptation. There is this tension in our lives of going, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I catch myself doing stupid stuff sometimes. Why do I do that? Why do I, it's like I keep going back here. Forgive me. And that's part of this. How does the gospel apply in this uh, crossroads of faith and fear? That's for us to work it out. The problem is we sometimes just want to work it out on our own. Mm, I got it. <laughs> I'll figure this thing out. It's kind of embarrassing. I don't want you to know the things that I'm struggling with. And I certainly don't want to know the things you're struggling with. And we can get into that. But that, that's actually not uh, uh, the call of the believer. In fact, the call is to engage in church. We could say it better this way, the body of Christ. I like that image of the body because we're told in the scriptures that we're a member. And if we would be willing to think of ourselves as a finger on this body, might be a good visualization for us. Because our hands are able to do things together, right? That they can't do alone. So, not to be too gross, uh, but if a finger were severed and on the ground, that finger is good for nothing, right? Like it's it's not going to get up and scratch your head anymore. Uh, it's not going to point out the direction you need to go. It's, it's good for nothing. But attached to the body, connected with others, it's able to do some amazing things. Well, without it, the, the body has to work harder, figure things out in ways that it wasn't really designed to. We're supposed to engage in church. And when I say engage in church, do I mean attendance? Well, sure. But not just attendance. It's living it out. Maybe it's engaging in a life group and living this out in word, care, and prayer. Maybe, maybe it's on a serve team where, where uh, you're able to use your gift in such a way that glorifies God and helps the body to work together. But the challenge is for us to engage. 
and God's give it, given it to us to engage. And so for clarity, we also need to be in God's word. And Joshua 1.8 reminds us to meditate on it day and night. Psalm 119.11, to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. Like this word of God is so important. It is such a, an amazing love language or a, a love letter to us for us to, to wrestle with and chew on and to better understand and to live out. And I, I often during this, these kind of challenges, I'll hear people say, yeah, but I'm not a very good reader. And I totally understand that. Actually, I really struggled early on in school with reading and comprehension, like I could read the words, but it just wasn't sticking in my head what was being said. I struggled with it for years and would find myself, I shouldn't even say this, but we, uh, <laughs> we had books on records in those days. Uh, records are, they're, they're like big DVDs, if you're wondering. Uh, anyways, uh, but I would catch myself like looking at the book as it was being read and following along and going, oh, that's great. Uh, well, I don't use records anymore, but I still, I do have uh, the audio Bible, and I'll listen to it sometimes just a chapter a week. And every time I'm in the car, I just listen to that chapter over and over again so that I can understand what is being uh, said, so that I can comprehend it. Maybe that's you. Uh, maybe that's helpful to you. Maybe you're a morning person, then I want to encourage you to read it in the morning. Maybe you say, well, I'm not really a morning person, I'm a night person. I get you. Uh, read it at night. It's okay, uh, but get in the word of God. It's important. First Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us to, 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 pray, uh, to pray without ceasing. The bigger context of it is so great. Be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we remember to pray. Now, why, why do I put that right where it is? Well, uh, here's why. Oftentimes, we get to reading the scriptures, and, and, and then we start going, I know the word. You know, I can even, there's even some Greek here. I'm understanding. I'm getting pretty good. Hold on. Self-inflicted, pat on the back, way to go. And there's pride that can come. Prayer has this way of keeping us humble before an almighty God. We spend time talking to him in his presence, verbalizing things. It keeps us humble. The earliest theologians of the church were first of all people of prayer. Second of all, students of the word. A little different than the way we think in the West. And then fine, finally, uh, follow the teachings of Jesus. Follow the teachings. What does Jesus say? Let's just do what Jesus says. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, choosing to be obedient now. Let's just do what Jesus says. And the way we understand what Jesus says is by getting in the word, by being in fellowship with other believers, by being able to discern that through uh, fellowship, the word and prayer. Uh, those are big pieces. What's the next step for you? Life or death lies within the power of our choice. And so it's time to choose. As the worship team comes out, I want to encourage you to choose. Make a decision. Is it going to be sin or is it going to be God? Communion is one of those beautiful pieces that we get to come together to in the church. It's a calibrator, if we can use that term. It's a calibrator that reminds us uh, Jesus is our focus. Have I lost that? Have I gone off track? Is there some sin in my life? And the scripture says to confess that sin. 
and repent. So repentance is like we're going in one direction, we have a change of mind, and we go in the other direction specifically towards God. We don't just go to a different sin, we go to God. That's repentance. And so today, as we prepare our hearts for both the bread and the cup, I want to encourage you to take a few moments and just ask the Lord, how am I doing on my choices? Am I choosing you or am I choosing sin? Am I allowing you to master me or am I allowing sin to master me? Uh, And then uh, to get right before the Lord with confession and repentance as needed. In just a few moments, we'll come back together for communion and we'll participate together. In the meantime, join me as we pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you that you, you have put before us choices today. And so, empowered by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to make godly choices. Choices that put us in the way of eternal life and not in the way of death. Lord, choices that help us to receive that free gift and not choices of receiving a wage for our sin. Lord, we love you and we recognize that we are constantly in tension and and needing to address that tension. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to do that even now. And we praise you for the opportunity to come together. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.